0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to the therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part conversation with author Kimberly Brubaker-Bradley about using fiction to better understand attachment.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory and Action Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock for another episode. Today, our guest is youth fiction writer Kimberly Brubaker Bradley. She is a two time Newberry honoree and a number one New York Times bestselling author. And the reason that I wanted to have her on my podcast is because I think that the books and the stories she writes about, about children and their caregivers, have such tremendous relevance to understanding attachment. And one of the things that I really love is if I can find a way to look Learn about what I do in unexpected places and learning more about attachment theory and how it manifests in the lives of, of children and their caregivers is not something I would have been really expecting to find in a youth fiction book. So she is going to be speaking about several of her books, uh, but the first one that caught my attention was The War That Saved My Life. So I am excited for you to join us for our conversation about that first book, why i thought it was relevant to the podcast and hearing more about her in terms of the wonderful books she has written for youth to be reading about some really important issues so stay tuned kimberly Brewbaker bradley will be coming right up So, hey listeners, we are back again for part two of our interview with Kimberly Brubaker Bradley, talking about her wonderful youth fiction books, the genre she writes in. And Kim, thanks so much for joining us.
2: You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here again.
1: Yes. Yeah. So we were talking about the war that saved my life last time, and it was so interesting hearing about how much you studied the history of the evacuation of the children. And, you know, then we were getting into, you know, further details of how you develop the characters and um You know, Susan being this reluctant parent and Ada being so straightforward in some of her thoughts and feelings. I I just found myself so often thinking, How did you know to say this? Or, I mean, it just seems so. Having worked a lot with kids who have had a history like Ada's, I was like, How how do you know? I feel like this is exactly what they're thinking. And I feel like this is exactly the kind of response from a parent these kids need. And that's why I feel like this book is so relevant for for caregivers as well as kids who might be reading this.
2: Yeah, one of the things that's really pleased me about this book is that I've heard from uh, a lot of families whose, whose kids come from um hard places somehow yeah. but, but especially the the kids who are you know adopted through foster care and yes uh, or adopted from you know i've had a friend who's adopted from a foreign country child who yes. was, was six or seven so it's kind of the same yes. general thing where uh, there's there's trauma that the new parents uh don't really understand and and have to sort of kind of you know, you think that well, if I just keep loving them and telling them I'm loving them, that's going to fix things. And it and it doesn't really. Uh, it's it's a little more complicated than that. And so, hearing from yes. other parents that say, "Wow, this is what we went through as a family," uh, yes. and I got a great letter the other day from um, a ten year old who said she and her mom had read it together, and it really helped them because now sometimes she can go up and say. I'm just having an aid a day. And her mom says, Oh, okay. So, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed or, you know, you're feeling upset, but it's not about what's happening right now, you know, and and they have a whole way to address it that Mm. um, didn't exist before they read the book. And that's, yeah, that was, yeah, that's, that's actually probably been my favorite comment so far was, was this child writing to me saying, you know, this, this girl was like me and now I can say it to my mom, I'm like her and my mom understands in a way she didn't before. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. Because it's such, you know, I, I was going to ask you, uh, and I'm glad that you offered it. Mm-hmm. If you've had examples where a parent and child read this yeah. together.
2: I have actually, you know, actually multiple times and it's, it's been really um, a terrific thing to hear. I mean, that, that it's helped, Fosters some relationships between, you know, uh, very well-meaning people that are still having trouble connecting with each other. Yes, because of yes. because of past traumas and and things that are hard to let go of. And um, you know, I've I've told people that I do have trauma in my history. I don't talk about details publicly, but um, but I also spent a lot of time reading accounts of. You know, foster kids and um, and kind of kids from hard places, kids that had been. I have a friend who adopted a a child from um, a third, well, a developing country orphanage while this was happening, while I was writing this book, and and so you know you could you can see all the examples, uh, but it it took me a while to really get inside Ada's head, but once I did, I felt like I really understood who she was, and so it was easy to sometimes. You know, she she doesn't know the rules for things. And yeah, you know, sometimes like Susan, she brings cut, Susan a cup of tea and Susan says, well, that was thoughtful. And Ada goes away thinking, is thoughtful good or bad? You know, she's not sure. She doesn't know whether to smile or be worried.
1: Yes, um, yes. There's so no. many examples like that of that uncertainty of really how does a... Loving, nurturing, reciprocal relationship work. Right. And that just trying to figure that out.
2: And that's actually um, part of the reason I gave her butter. Part of it is just I like horses, but um, but butter the pony in the book. Um, and is there to be a little bit of a bridge? Because when Ada comes out of that extreme isolation, I knew that even with the best will in the world, she was going to find it overwhelming to try to talk to strangers. And yes. you know, when she goes into the to the village shops, and there's all these apples, and and you know Susan says, "Oh, grab a couple of those," and she's thinking, "I'm allowed to touch the apples, okay?" So, uh, the horse would not. Horses communicate through emotion. Uh, more than anything else and are very, very good at at sort of picking up and, and reciprocating emotion. So uh, they're very, very useful in therapy for this reason. And they're starting to become mm. uh, more and more used as therapy animals, not just rotting, um, right. but, right. but interacting with them. And so um, I knew that Butter would be someone who would also not judge Ada for her shabbiness or her disability uh, or her lack of knowledge, because of course those mean nothing to a pony um
1: or not judge her for her sort of curt way that she can be <laughs> and right. the way she answers things that susan the 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 woman who's taking care of her does she does such a good job of not personalizing all of that yeah, yeah. And that is so hard as a foster or adoptive or or even a biological parent. You know, at times right. that was one of the things that really stood out. How how did how did you feel like you developed that in her and how did you know that that would be so important?
2: It, Susan was really just. Yeah. Um since just kind of showed up and was her own self the whole time i mean i I just think that she is she's kind of matter of fact she's very matter of fact she's very um she's very honest with herself and i don't think she she just didn't i think part of it she didn't come into the the relationship with expectations and um, yes and she understands ada's trauma as i said as as sort of a mirror of of things that she herself went through so that she understands Ada being angry and, right. and, and can understand that when Ada, you know, reacts poorly to a situation, it's not always that she's reacting poorly to Susan. Sometimes she's reacting poorly to something in her past.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that part about the expectations is so important because she was not, you know, trying for maybe many years to have a child of her own and maybe dealing with infertility or, you know, feeling right. like I, I really, really want a child. So the route for me is going to be adoption and that's going to allow me to have a family. She didn't have all that going on. This was no. sort of like just the child plopped down there because she had an extra room.
2: Yeah, and her and her goals at the beginning are to take good physical care of them. Yeah. You know, she she wants to take... Uh, you know, have Ada's medical needs addressed. Uh, she wants to have her physical needs addressed. Um, she's not particularly concerned with, um, you know, I mean, she'll, she'll sort of teach them manners and things and the things she feels like she, they need to know, but she's not looking for them to reflect upon her or to be, you know, she's really not expecting Ada to be grateful. I think that's, I think that's a pretty big deal.
1: That is a pretty big deal. Um, She's not expecting a lot of emotion in return and gratitude. And, you know, so often the narrative that adult adopted people share is that you know, no matter what, they were expected to feel lucky and grateful, even yeah. though there was a lot about this that wasn't lucky or something right. to be grateful for. And right,
2: she because true luck is being raised with your birth family and a loving, you know, and a loving birth Right, family. right. right. Mean, that's, that's what feels lucky to kids, not, you know, no matter how you you phrase the adoptive narrative, there's still a loss.
1: Yes, yes. But she's coming at it, like you said, without those experts. Like, I even think that what you just said about she was there. Her priority was their physical needs. And I think for a lot of kids that that's tangible basic and a relief that you're not expecting something else out of this kind of you know i i imagine ada having that feeling you know that oh i'm not supposed to love you and think you're wonderful and hug you and appreciate you like we're gonna have food and we're gonna have you know we're gonna i'm gonna see a doctor um i think sometimes the rest of it just feels overwhelming for kids yeah
2: yeah and, and that is, I mean, you see that in, um, you know, as Susan starts to um, be more emotional toward them it is when Ada starts really panicking, uh, you know, at Christmas. Yes, when, and when that's Susan a good word for it. Ada, um, a beautiful dress and and puts it on her and says, you're beautiful. And Ada just, go, you know, falls to pieces because um, she can't see herself as beautiful. She doesn't want Susan seeing her as beautiful. She doesn't want to be attached to Susan. She, she, you know, sees Susan as temporary, and um, none of this is actual anything that's going to last. So, and I think uh, that's so important
1: because, like, I think a lot of there's a lot of well, what sometimes referred to as saviorism. Like I'm going to come in and I'm going to make everything better and I'm going to shower you with all these things that you didn't have and then you will love them and, you know, appreciate all of those things. And it doesn't work that way no. often. And I feel like this book really shows through Ada's inner life that you share as the author, why, like what this really right. feels like for her. It's not what the caregiver is thinking they're gonna
2: feel. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and and they're still angry and the anger has to go somewhere. Yes, yes.
1: So I do have to ask, were you thinking, because the next book that I read by you is um, the the follow-up book, after The War That Saved a Life, The War I Finally Won. Um, no, wait, am I getting that title right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Okay, man. and did you know when you wrote this one that there might be a season? Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, actually, it was always planned. Oh, <laughs> it <laughs> was! Oh, yeah. wow, well, I was no, I was fooled. I thought, okay, I got the story, and then I saw that yeah. I was so... No, if you if you go to page three okay. of the first book, it says... The story I'm telling starts out four years ago at the beginning of the summer of 1939, but the first book only goes to the um, end of the summer of 1940. It's the second book in 1943.
1: All right, so I think I missed that and I- Most most people (laughs) did. I couldn't have been more delighted when I- when I saw, wait a minute, this next book is
2: a continuation. I was so excited because well, I didn't feel like- That trick, that narrative trick did did two things. I mean, it does signal that, but it also makes the narrative Ada uh, four years older than the one that walks into Susan's room. Uh, you know, into Susan's house. So yes. the story starts in 1939, but but uh, if you try to write it from 1939, Ada, she doesn't know the words for things. Like right. she can't even describe a sofa because she doesn't know the word sofa. And right. as a writer, that got um, really hard to do, but also you wanted Ada's viewpoint to still be a child and for her to be able to remember how things had been exactly, But you still wanted that little bit of a layer of, and yet this is how things really were. You know, this is how I saw them. And this is how, this is a little more of the truth.
1: Yes, yes. Because I love how you did that because then you could really see that you could show that first 10 year old just kind of, Mm. it's like she was coming from another planet. Like she didn't have the language for a lot of these things, hadn't seen a lot of these things, but then you can still have that... That more advanced to understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what were uh, before we get to to your more more recent book, the uh, Fighting Words? What were some of your thoughts and goals for that? The the sequel or the second book or whatever I'm supposed to call it. What yeah, do I yeah. call it? The
2: sequel is good. <laughs> okay. um, the, the main thing is that at the end of the first book, the reader knows and Ada knows that she's at a place of physical safety. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as you can be in a war, but yeah. um, but she has reached a, a place of um, of physical security, but she has not reached the place of emotional security yet. Uh, because that's just a much harder thing to gain, and so uh, that's what the second book is about: is is really finding your way into um, being an emotionally whole um, person. And so the the work continues. We um, well, I, 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 there's one thing I had to do. Um, to to sort of be able to change Ada's emotional uh, directory, trajectory a little bit, but I don't want to give away the plot. Yes, thoughts. we don't want to give away anything. No. Um, so. but um, you know, she. It, it really is about physical safety versus emotional safety, and the, those two yes. things. Are those two separate books. And that that
1: separation of those concepts is so so important because you you might take the physical safety for granted, but because I work with children that have really extreme behavior, sometimes I'm working in homes where there isn't physical safety because the kids sure. are aggressive towards the parents. And we I have to talk with parents about, there's emo- you can't get emotional safety when there's not physical safety and vice right. versa. Like we have to have both of these things because I think sometimes they're thinking, well, we'll just get them to feel safe, even though they're hitting us and hurting us. And like, it doesn't work that way. Like you need both. I I understand why it is that Mm -hmm. way and why you need support for it not to be that way. But that separation of those two pieces needing to be there is so important. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And that was actually always, that was always the plan in my mind. Now, the second book was actually a lot harder to write than I expected it to be. Oh, really? Why uh, was that? I, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> I, mean, I, really, I really thought it was going to be um, easier because I already knew I already knew Ada. You had and, your characters developed yeah, and yeah, all that. But, um, but it was just, it was harder to show the gradual evolution. Um, you know, we had to find, you know, what, what's going to advance her just a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more. So.
1: Well, both the books have gotten amazing accolades and awards, and they're just such fantastic books. I even have friends here that are thinking of using them for their adult book club, you know? Yeah, Um, terrific. Yeah, yeah. So so everybody needs to go buy those books. Let's take a few minutes to talk about fighting words. Okay, so when I saw what this was about, I'm like, oh my gosh, how are you going to write about this in a way that's not like really traumatizing and triggering and mm-hmm. oh no, like would the sure. kids who really have this history even be able to read this book? And somehow you pull it off.
2: Yeah, Finding Words is one of the first books for 10 year olds that really talks about uh, childhood sexual abuse. Yes, and, what did the publisher um, think about that? my publisher is fantastic it was i i wondered um and and i wrote uh when I, you know the first chunk that i sent them was was a narrative arc it was very very rough but uh I, but i said you know i i can turn this into a novel but this is what i this is what i have and um you know they said right away we're in and i said well you know there's i mean I mean, they had seen that part, but I mean, there's yes. a suicide attempt. Um, yeah. It happens on the on the page, and you have to be very, very careful about writing that in any circumstance, but especially when you're writing a, a book for children. Yeah. So that you're not creating, you know, some kind of of copycatting uh, yes. or in any way making it look attractive or an answer to a problem Right. Uh, while still being honest about the fact that that people make these attempts and children make these attempts. Uh, you know, it's um, the second leading cause of death for for 10 to 14 year olds is suicide right now in our country. So, yes. uh, you know, we don't do kids any harm, any good pretending these things aren't there. At yeah. the same time, you can make it extremely traumatizing, and um, for both kids who who have and haven't experienced assault. Um, and we we kind of went into it. Uh, you know the at the beginning the I write in several drafts so um, you know I just wrote whatever I wanted but but we then started um, going back and going through and through and through uh, some of the sensitive scenes and thinking okay, if you are a kid that has no experience of um, abuse or assault or you know even even really uh, human sexual behaviors, how will you see this scene if you are yes. a kid that has been sexually assaulted. How will you see this scene, and and really making sure that it was acceptable for both, um, you know, that it wasn't overwhelming, that it was still honest, but it was um, not going to make any anybody worse, not not make kids feel worse. Yes. Um, you know, we we know how prevalent childhood sexual assault is. You know, I've I've had so many teachers that have said, "Oh, you know, there could be a kid like this in my classroom." And I said, "Actually, statistically, there are probably several. There yeah. is almost certainly more than one. Uh, yes. Almost certainly three or four. In in every public school classroom in the country." And you know, people think, "Oh, well, that's you know, poverty or broken home, and those things can increase the odds." But but it happens across everywhere. So. Um, I'm really writing for those kids to make sure they know that it's something that they can overcome and it doesn't define them and they're not the only kid that it's ever happened to and um, you know that you you can get past it and also you aren't to blame for it but um, you know you want it for for all of the kids and at the same time you know it it sounds like the most bleak um, story in the history of humankind but the narrator is actually really funny and um, yeah. she's she's strong and she's um, she's pretty hilarious, I think. Now, I, again, I, I've split the story. Um, Della has an older sister and it's all told through 10-year-old Della's eyes. Uh, but some of the more extreme things are what's happened to her sister. And, and gradually she and the reader fi- figure out what's happened to Suki Uh, And that kind of lets us get, have um, sort of two levels of trauma. Yes. Without having to be firsthand in the more difficult experience. You don't have to see Suki's point of view through Suki's eyes.
1: Right. It's just so sensitively and beautifully.
2: and Thank you. We tried super hard and nobody knew how... Right. well, this book would be received. We were all, I mean, as I said, my, my publisher had my back all the way. They were they were all in from the start, even um, letting me, you know, replace curse words with the word snow. And um, um, it went on to get seven starter reviews out of a possible seven, which is the first book of mine that has gotten mm-hmm. that. Uh, it was well-received by the New York Times. It was Uh, An honor book for the Newbery Award, the Boston Boston Globe Horn Book Award, um, finalist for the Kirkus Prize, honor book for the Odyssey. And it's even showing up on state book lists, which I did not expect. State book award lists are when all of the kids in the state are encouraged to read books off a list of about 10 titles and, and vote for their favorite. And I was not sure schools would put this on their state list, but they but they have been doing so. Um, and they've really been ready to talk to kids about this, which I've, I'm so, so happy for. I mean, all the awards are nice, uh, but the big thing, especially the Newbery Honor, means that the book will stay in print. Um, and you know more and more kids will get a chance to read it because of those awards. But yeah, you know, we were like, I thought to myself, I know kids need this book. I wasn't sure adults were gonna let them read it, um,
1: yeah, well, I think for anyone that has a concern, as I, I want to emphasize again as a mental health professional that who works with children, that it is very sensitively written. It, it's written in a way that, um, that I don't think it will be – what's the word? If you don't have this in your history, I don't feel like it's going to put all these graphic – Fearful yeah. things in yeah. your mind And right. if you do have this in your history Then I think it's handled in a very Sensitive way that's not going to Trigger someone any more than Things in their everyday life that are Trauma but, triggers but, right I mean yeah.
2: less, less
1: so than that because It's yeah. written very sensitively
2: Well that was that was absolutely My hope and we we did run it through Past some um, Professionals you know child psychiatrists And things Um Especially right at the end, to make sure we were we were hitting you know all the points we should hit. But uh, you know, I also have uh, a whole bunch of nephews, and the oldest one was nine years old when I was writing this. and i and he and he's very smart, precocious, but a fairly sheltered, you know nine year old frankly yes. and uh, and I kept him in in my mind, you know, how oh, good. when I'm done writing this, can I hand this book to, to that you. child? And um, you know, without any any qualms that this is going to be something he's not ready for. And you know, I, I mean, I did. he got one of the very early review copies. And uh, and his mom, I told his mom, uh, my sister-in-law, I said, just read it first so that you know what he's what he's reading. Uh, and she did and said, oh yeah, this is this is good. This is this is something good for him. And you know, he sat down, right down and read it. And um, and enjoyed it as well as, you know, finding it appropriate, which- Yes, appropriate. yes. Uh, what it,
1: What have you heard about it? And, you know, have you heard from any like foster care associations or anybody like that? Like, so what have you heard from individuals?
2: I have heard from foster care associates. I have heard from um, a fair number of individuals and um, a surprising number of adult individuals who say I wish this book had existed when I was a child, um, and that's that's what the adults are saying. Um, the children who are writing to me about it, uh, so far, are not. You know, I haven't I haven't actually been able to be in schools like I normally would for a, a book launch. Um, yes, because it just didn't. You know, this book came out in uh, last August, so less than a year ago. And yes. There have been no conferences. There have been no in-person school visits, and I don't want to talk about this book uh, on a Zoom call with a class I've never met before. I would I would much rather. I think it's I think it's going to be a lot better if I'm there in person. I'm I'm perfectly happy to talk about it in real life um, at a school, but it hasn't happened yet. So yes, I don't yes. have too many children's responses to it yet. Yeah, um, but yes. uh, you know the the stories I hear are. are um, it's sad. I mean, I, I a lot of people now trust me with their stories, and and it's. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people would be surprised at how many people this issue touches.
1: Well, I just really want to publicly thank you for putting these stories out into the world because I feel, so, you know, it's not like you're reading a website of s- sexual abuse statistics. I mean, these are stories that children and adults can relate to in a very different way than some informational message, which is mainly what's out there. And so I feel like they're just so important and such vulnerable and compelling stories for people to relate to, to feel like, oh gosh, somebody gets this.
2: Thank you very much. I mean, that's exactly what, what we want kids to feel. I mean, yeah. you know, Uh, one of the reasons we we read stories is to know we're not alone in the world and so it's also one of the reasons to write them
1: yeah well thank you for joining me here on the podcast and being brave a
2: little unusual invitation (laughs) that you accepted i've enjoyed the uh, conversation very much
0: thank you Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.